Hello, Cosmic Cats. I have a fun update to share with you. You and I are pretty cool now, and I know how much you love fun stories and adventures. So, that's why I wanted to share that there's a brand new podcast out now that I think you're going to love. The podcast is called Mysteries About True Histories, and it features some new friends of mine, Max and Molly. I'll let them tell you more. From the creators of Who Smarted Starglow Media comes a brand new podcast called Mysteries About True Histories. Uh, does that sound serious enough? Uh, Max, we only have 30 seconds for this promo. Just tell them how your mysterious aunt recruited us into a secret order of problem solvers who travel time and have epic adventures. I don't have to. You just did. Catch new episodes of Mysteries About True Histories every Thursday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello there, Cosmic Cats. Welcome back to Music Land Stories, coming to you live from the origin point for all music and adventure stories in the known universe, and some of the unknown ones. And we're here at the Music Land Concert Hall. Are your seatbelts fastened? All your emotional luggage stored safely in the overhead compartment of your mind? Last time we spoke, Mo had taken off with the Cosmic Crew, serving the space waves on their way to Translore, where Mo hoped to retrieve the legendary drumsticks of Krupa Khan. But first, she had to deal with a little motion sickness. See, the Cosmic Crew was led by the five-limbed Professor Pandemonium. The rest of the band were puppets. And right now, one of those puppets was flying the ship steering through space by turning a series of synthesizer knobs. Did I say steering? It was more like swerving, swooping, sliding over sound waves. Mo pressed herself against the wall for stability. We're following the frequencies, kid, the professor shouted. The piloting puppet, Bedlam, let out a wild, whooping yell, which didn't inspire much confidence. Janice, a two-headed blonde puppet, was more attentive to Mo's concerns. Sorry about Bedlam, she said. He's got, like, totally no chill. He's pretty sick on the arpeggiator knobs, though. That's good for the funk and the fuel. Mo forced a nervous laugh. Janice moved closer and said, Look, sometimes it feels like the stars are moving, like, way too fast, you know? So then you gotta close your eyes. Find the signal and the noise. Dig? Mo picked up what Janice was putting down. At least she thought she did. She shut her eyes and listened, tapping out the rhythms on her thighs. There was something out there, a steady beat that Mo could groove with, one that made her feel less queasy. The ship hit another bump in the spaceways, and Mo's empty stomach did a flip. How much further is Translore, she said. Space crickets. She looked up at Professor Pandemonium, who shrugged. But I need to be home in three days to meet the orchestra, said Mo. Well, like, why didn't you just say that, man? Janice replied. 
Then she turned and shouted, Yo, Bedlam, drop the beat. This kid's got a curfew. Bedlam let out another yelp and turned the ship sharply starboard, which sent Moe flying over to the opposite wall. The engines ignited and immediately puttered out. I think we, like, totally gotta stop for gas first, Janice said. The cosmic crew had just enough stardust in the tank to reach the nearest fueling station. I may have given them a little push, too. One of the nice things about intergalactic travel, a little momentum goes a very long way. Professor Pandemonium may have noticed my assist when he looked out the driver's side window. But Mo was none the wiser. Mo looked out the window as they approached the planet of Giza, which wasn't round or even oblong like the one she'd grown up on. Instead, it was shaped like an hourglass resting on its side. Also, like an hourglass, Giza was a sandy place, and Betlam was flying them straight at the narrow neck in the center, where they flew into a sandstorm. The ship was shaking in the ravenous winds, tiny grains of sand pelting the outside with little metallic pings. Moe's dual hearts began to race. We're, like, trying to fly the most direct way, Janice explained, but these winds are making gnarly waves. Betlam yelped again, then whipped the ship to the side, which didn't help. The ship spun around, somersaulting on a sheet of sand, but a sheet of sand can't hold the weight of an intergalactic flying school bus. So they catapulted downward, crashing into the dunes. The impact sent the cosmic crew scattering across the ship. Professor Pandemonium looked at his five bare hands in a panic. He started scuttling around on the ship's floor trying to find the rest of his cosmic crew. Mo knew she had to do something. She went to the synthesizer wall that served as the ship's steering mechanism. She thought about what Janice had told her, about how to find the signal in the noise. If she could find the right frequency, she could counteract the wind and shake their ship free from the sand. She closed her eyes and listened. To the desert, to the sheets of sand, to the tiny ping-pong pelting sound of each tiny grain as it sifted through the hourglass planet. There was a low, low grumbling sound. A gentle, primal affirmation. Mo twisted one of the oscillation knobs on the synthesizer wall, turning it slowly, slowly, until the frequencies made the sand shake like maracas. The sound waves carved a groovy groove through the desert as the warbling wind settled in between the peaks and valleys of the sandy frequencies. The storm fell silent and still. In its absence, there was only a long, held-out howl with a gentle vibrato that matched the sound Mo heard the desert making. The beautiful howl stopped, and a booming voice came from the desert. Hey, what happened to the song? Mo looked out the windshield and saw a giant cat-like creature 
with a face like hers. Or, well, not just like hers. It was older, with a squared-off beard and big, gentle eyes. Its skin was made of sand, and in its front paws, it carried a curvy golden horn. Professor Pandemonium perked up behind Mo. He had found the rest of the cosmic crew and had been adjusting them on his arms when he saw the magnificent creature through the window. It was the legendary Sphinxophone. The professor had heard stories, but he never expected to meet the Sphinxophone face to Sandy face. The Sphinxophone peered inside the crew's galactic school bus. Hello, little friends, he said. How did you get all the way out here? Moe stepped out of the ship. The sand had settled, and the ground felt slippery, like glass. She looked up at the creature and tried to explain. We were looking for fuel, and we ran into the sandstorm. The sphinxophone nodded thoughtfully. Strangers always think the center is a passageway, he said. Which it is for the sands that stabilize our planet. Otherwise, we would tilt all the way to one side or the other. But I keep the world balanced with my meditation. Mo looked at the sphinxophone. She was confused. But Professor Pandemonium got what he was putting down. He means song, he said. The sphinxophone frowned. The solar cycles here on Giza rely on the sands of time. Every world has its own equilibrium. This is ours. Mo's dual heart sank. She was so focused on helping her new friends that she'd forgotten about the world around her. She'd found her own sense of balance, just like Janice had taught her, and discovered a frequency to counteract the storm. But it wasn't a storm after all. It was the rhythm of the sphinxophone, the very thing that kept this world working. We have to take care of ourselves and our friends, that's true. But we also have to think about the ways we live in harmony with the world around us, even if it is only sand. The sphinxophone reached out with one mighty paw and nuzzled it next to Mo. Don't waste your water, little one. The sand won't want it anyway. Janice spoke up again. But, like, if we just change the frequency, you know, then we can, like, totally start the song again. The sphinxophone arched his back and perked its head up, the way that cats do. If the cosmic crew could help him restart his song, he'd use his meditations to help them find the fuel they needed to make it to Translore. Mo knew just what to do. The cosmic crew loaded back onto their intergalactic school bus with Mo in the lead. Professor Pandemonium stepped up to the synthesizer steering wall with all of his puppet companions, each one taking charge of a different oscillation. But then Mo, oh, this is my favorite part. It makes me feel so proud. Mo stood back and played the conductor, a role that is, as you might imagine, dear to my heart. She waited for the sphinxophone to blow his mighty horn, then closed her eyes and listened intently to the friendly funk feline's wild wailing until she found the rhythm that was waiting in between the frequencies. 
She raised a hand up high where Professor Pandemonium and the rest of the Cosmic Crew could see, then began to tap her fingers in time with the tune. Betlam and Snoot and Janice and Wiggly Wallace tweaked their respective knobs in perfect synchronicity with Professor Pandemonium. That rare intoneness with each other, an uncommon connection that only grows between musicians who've traveled light years together. Or puppets on the arms of a five-limbed alien. Either way, Mo was wielding that bond with uncanny accuracy. She could feel the desert air moving around them. A zephyr breeze dancing in sandy trills and churves. The sphinxophone song lifted through the sky and expanded out through time as it swelled in perfect harmony with the Cosmic Crew's intergalactic synthesis. The planet's glassy surface cracked back into fine grains of sand. And soon, Giza itself began to sing a familiar song. With Moe's help, the rhythm of the sphinxophone had brought the planet back into balance. She could feel the world's harmonies around her. She wondered how she'd ever missed it. The sphinxophone smiled as if he heard Moe's thought. You just didn't know which song to listen for. That was like the most totally tubular tune, Janice said. And I think I want to dig it some more, you know? Professor Pandemonium gasped. I want to hang around the scene here a while, Janice said. There's a lot of rad vibes for me to learn about, you know? The sphinxophone reached his giant paw down to the crew. I would gladly have you as my most harmonious guest, he said. Professor Pandemonium nodded sadly. Then he removed Janice from his hands and placed her on the sphinxophone's paw. Don't be such a downer, dude said Janice. Our waves will sink back up someday. I got a good vibe about it. Mo and the rest of the cosmic crew bid farewell to Janice. The sphinxophone played one more song to carry them to the fueling station. When their tank was full, they returned to the stars and set a straight course for Transalor. Professor Pandemonium took to the steering wall, alone this time. But Mo could sense the sadness on the ship. She was going to miss Janice, and she'd only known her for a day. She couldn't imagine how the others were feeling. But at the very least, she knew how to listen. So she stepped up beside the professor and said, Hey, can I help fly this time? The five-armed funk master looked back at her and smiled. But for now... It's time to pause the song and turn it over. Until next time, see you on the flip side. Musicland Stories is a collaboration between Starglow Media and Double Elvis. Executive producers from Double Elvis are Jake Brennan and Brady Sattler. Executive producers from Starglow Media are Jed Baker and Agrenish A. Palmer. This episode of Musicland Stories was written by Tom Dunn. Alessandro Santoro is our showrunner. Narration by me, Nikki Lynette. Original score by Jonathan Warman. Story editing by Zeth Lundy and Bob Prohl. And episode mix by Colin Fleming. Grown-ups, you can find more ad-free fun for the whole family by subscribing to Starglow Plus on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
See you soon, Cosmic Cats. Until next time, Conductor out. <laughs>